The presenting sponsor of Moon Tower Soccer is FVF Law. To find out what makes FVF a different kind of injury law firm, you can visit FVF.law. Hello, friends, and thanks for listening to Moon Tower Soccer. This week, we review Austin's fourth consecutive victory, which was a road win over the Houston Dynamo. We'll preview the upcoming LA Galaxy match, as well as the entire month of May. And we'll have a chat with Austin FC fullback John Gallagher about his positional shift in the offseason and his status as a heartthrob among the fans. My name is Landon Cottom, and I'm joined, as always, by Mr. Jeremiah Bentley. Hey everybody, this I'm Jeremiah Bentley, and I'm happy to be back and together. We were just talking about that, like we may have forgotten how to do a podcast from two two weeks of not doing it together. But thanks to Wellhouse, and he did a great job over the last couple of weeks sitting in for one of us and then the other of us. Yes, Chris was awesome. Uh, thanks again for doing that, buddy. Jeremiah, on Wednesday night, the Concacaf Champions League final is is upon us. Uh, you are you are one to watch a Concacaf Champions League game, are you not? I love the CONCACAF Champions League. And the and the first leg of that final was sort of everything that one learns to love about the league. There was time wasting. There were, what, three of the four goals, I believe, were on penalty? Yeah. Penalty kicks. The last one coming super late. Like, it was just a beautiful disaster. Oh, the rain. I mean, the weather was very <laughs> concacaf Like, the whole thing was the full experience. It was. But it's like all, all of the things that you expect to go wrong for an MLS team in the CONCACAF Champions League, went right for the MLS team. Right, yeah, credit, credit to Kevin Morris, who I think originally pointed that out and then had to say, like, oh, wait, this all happened, but in reverse. Yeah. The way it normally <laughs> happens. Uh, so I, I wanted to ask this question. I know Austin FC fans are a little bit split on this. I, I want the Seattle Sounders to win this game. Uh, I, I think it's a good thing for for MLS, for American soccer, do you think it's okay for Austin fans to cheer for the Seattle Sounders? I think Austin fans should absolutely cheer for the Seattle Sounders. I mean, one of the things that this league struggles with is sort of this reputation is where it sits um, in the pecking order of leagues all around the world. And obviously lots of, basically everybody finds us behind League AMKs, and I don't think one Champions League final makes a difference in that overall, but I think it helps. I mean, Seattle's a likable team. If this was Columbus... Or Dallas or Houston, what might I have a different opinion? Like absolutely, but yeah, I think there's nothing but good good things for MLS fans and Austin fans um, that would come out of of them picking up the win. Seattle picking up the win this week. Yeah, you mentioned Seattle winning it. If there's a team who deserves to be the first team to win it, I think it's hard to argue that Seattle's not that team. Like m- one of the best run and most successful teams in the history of the league and they, they haven't even been around for all of it. But um, yeah, I think, I think if a team deserves it, it's them. I know like Rigo, for example, Rigo Rodriguez Lira says that we should want them to lose so that Austin can be the first team to win it, which I, I get that. I get that viewpoint as well. Um, I don't share it, but yeah, I I think I just think it's a good thing for American soccer if this team wins. And you, you said one doesn't matter, and that's right. But you have to win one in a row before you win five in a row. So, well, yeah. To that point, hopefully by the time Austin wins it next year, then that would be the second. Right? Maybe it becomes a part of a sort of an ongoing trend. You know, being the first, it's bad that we're this far into it and we're still looking for a first team to win it. So if Austin's like the third team to win it because he won like three of the last six or something, like that shows that the league overall has improved, which is good for the league. Yeah. Um, let us know if you agree or disagree. I, I, for one, will be cheering for Seattle on Wednesday night. 
I uh, all right, let's jump into some MLS news. So the transfer deadline is coming on May 4th. So this episode will be released on May 3rd. So just a day from now, no more transfers will be will be allowed to be made uh, in going uh, incoming transfers anyway, or trades within the league until the summer uh, window, whenever that opens up again. So some news came out on Monday this week. Austin FC traded their number two spot in the allocation order to RSL for $200,000 in 2022 GAM and $125,000 in 2023 GAM. Um, quick refresher on what the allocation order is. It's set by reverse order of the standings in the league. And so Austin was currently in the number two spot. Um, I think some other teams had used their spot to to pick up players, which is why we were number two instead of number three or number four, wherever our, our final standings were. But um, RSL wanted to pick a player who was on this list. And so players on the list are players who had played in MLS, left the league, and are returning to the league. That's one way you can get on it. If you are a U.S. men's national team player who is playing abroad and entering or re I guess re-entering the league is how it works. Um, or if you are a youth national team player entering the league for the first time. Uh, I think that's everything. There might be some things I'm missing. But essentially, there's a player that RSL wanted that is on this allocation list. Um, Austin had the number two spot. RSL is trading up to get that number two spot. They're therefore giving us $325,000 in GAM. So I guess what this means is like Austin didn't have anybody on their list that they wanted to use that spot on, right? Yeah, that has to be it. Because Austin now goes to 22 on the list. Is that where it is? Right, so which over the span of the season, like we're not going to get to 22. Like if we wanted to use the spot, we'd have to trade up for it again trade probably. back up for it did you see the sam stage tweet about like the insane amount of since money that cincinnati's made not actual money gam has made just like trading back and forth into the same spot no <laughs> so there's i think they started at two and they and they're still at two because of like the maneuverings they've made and they've picked up like i don't know three or four hundred thousand or five hundred thousand in gam just from like <laughs> multiple this just shows how wild it is but yeah i think the actual point is there's because i think the point is there's like nobody we have in mind and the gam is worth more, and it's over two years, right? We have some twenty. Is it twenty two and twenty three gam? Yeah, two hundred two hundred k in twenty twenty two, one hundred twenty five k in twenty three. So yeah, there's no player that we want. We want more than that. So I mean, what do you think this means? So you said the window closes on May fourth, and then I was just looking at so it reopens July seventh through August fourth, and I have to imagine that anything we're picking up for any move is for that future secondary window later in the summer, and not a move that's going to happen by May 4th. Yeah, I would imagine so. Like if if Austin needed a piece now, I I still might expect there to be some news this week about an incoming transfer, but um I think there's some things that Austin could use that would be nice for the team to have, but I don't think there's anything we have to have right now. And from our conversation with Sean Rubio a few weeks ago, Tell me if if you got a different impression, but the impression that I got is we have these spots, like that one senior roster spot open and an international roster spot open. And we're like, we always have our feelers out, right? Like we're always looking, but 
if we find the right player for the right price in the right situation, we'll use that spot, but we're not like, we don't need it right now. Right. Is that what yeah, you got from it? Yeah, I got that. And then we're not going to like sacrifice the flexibility um, going forward to do that because there's nothing that is such an urgent need that they're willing to give that up right now. Yeah, so I don't think we'll have anybody incoming by the 4th, but uh, a recent Tom Bogert article on MLSsoccer.com suggested that we might have somebody outgoing. I don't believe that this is listed like based on any rumors or conversations that Tom has actually had. Maybe it is. He didn't say this in the article, but he was just looking at players who have proven that they are of MLS quality and are not getting minutes. And he had Jared Stroud on his list here. So Jared Stroud has played 22 minutes. I don't think he's made the bench for any of the last five, six, seven games for Austin FC, including the San Antonio match, which was interesting. So Stroud, I think in the right system, he could be a good player for an MLS team. I mean, so, like he came from Red Bull, right? So I could see going him going to like a more pressing system and doing quite well. I don't, I don't know if he's necessarily suited to play a lot of minutes for a team like Austin right now, but I think there are teams in this league that he could do okay for. So that might be one to look out for. Would you... I, I feel like that would be a good thing for Austin and for Jared Stroud at this point, don't you? Yeah, I mean, I wish I understood what Jared Stroud is doing or not doing that has led him to be in the situation he's in, just given who you've seen play on the wing. But, I mean, given... So they, they let him go, right? Then they brought him back. So if they were able to, like, let him go and bring him back and then deal him for anything of any value. Like that would be good for the club. And then for sure, Jared Stroud, like I would love to, I like that guy. I would love to see him get some playing times. So that seems like that would be a positive. Yeah. So um, keep an eye out for that. Only, like we said, only one more day for any moves to happen. So it might make sense as to why he hasn't been making rosters if they're like actively trying to deal him, but who knows? We'll see. All right, let's jump into our review of the Houston Dynamo game. So uh, I was in Houston for this game. Jeremiah was in Houston for this game. And so were a lot of other fans. Do you do you know what the final tally was? How many I, folks I did believe, we have there? I believe it was around 400 that were that bought tickets like through the link that were in that section because there was again Houston does not have a great turnout and I think there was there was Verde all around the stadium, right? Like people that had just bought tickets on their own and showed up. But like that section itself, I think was close to 400 fans. All right. Um, so there was a little bit of nervousness around security after what happened last year. So if, if those who don't know, there's an Austin fan assaulted outside of the stadium. Um, there is a, a small subset of Houston Dynamo fans that this seems to be a pretty regular occurrence with if they find someone wearing the opposing team's color alone, they like, it happens a lot <laughs> in Houston. And I don't want to paint all Houston fans in this light. Cause I know that's not true. I've met a lot of Houston fans. Uh, we went down there. Um, like some Austin folks went down there a few years ago as neutrals before Austin FC started playing. And we were treated quite well by a lot of the dynamo fan base. But then we also ran into some of these guys who <laughs> try to start trouble and they tried to fight us for no real reason. So um, there was there was like some nerves and and for good reason. And so I, I want to give a lot of credit to Katie Ensign and Seth Rao and um, 
Alfredo and and his team from the Austin FC front office, they put in a lot of work and a lot of like Katie and Seth put a lot of pressure on both our front office and the Houston front office to take this seriously and to essentially do a better job than what was done last year. And it was, it went, I thought it was really, really seamless and pretty smooth. Don't you? Yeah. Yeah. It really did. Um, I don't think it was any, I don't remember there being like any incident or any trouble at all. I mean, everybody got, I think the time of the game probably had something to do with that too, but you know, folks got in, like there was a good security in the section people got out fine. Like the Houston, all the Houston people that we walked around were like super nice people to your point earlier. Like it's one small subset of the, the community overall. It sort of makes everybody look bad, but yeah, I thought it was a great experience. Yeah. I, I, I didn't, I didn't notice this, but some, I heard somebody talking about it afterwards that there was one guy who was like down at the bottom of our section that was yelling at people and then like got into it with some of the Austin FC front office people and then got kicked out of the stadium. <laughs> and then after the game, we all walked out into the parking lot where the buses were. And they also let all of the Austin FC fans who did not ride the bus and drove cars park in that same parking lot so that we could all walk in together, whether you were on the buses or in your own car. We we're all standing out in the parking lot and we saw one guy run out in front of what I think might have been the Austin FC bus as it was leaving the stadium and just stood in front of the bus and like gave double birds to the bus driver. I was like, what are you doing, guy? Like, <laughs> you're just going to flip off a bus. And then and then he like jumped over a shrub and ran down a sidewalk. It's like, OK, <laughs> that, that's how you're going to spend your Saturday. Cool. That's a good time. Hey, who else did y'all see out there? Oh, yeah. While we were out in the parking lot, one Josh Wolf came out to the parking lot and gave a little pep talk to the fans, which I I thought was amazing. And as it was happening, he he walks in the parking lot. People realize what's happening, and he just gets swarmed. People are all over him. And what I was thinking was like, if this would have happened last year, he would have (laughs) been swarmed by a lot of these same people. A lot of these exact same people for very different reasons and with very different intentions. But yeah, yeah the the, ti- the tides have changed and folks are, are more and more wolf in every game, it seems. Well, you know, like he says, goals change games and I think wins change fans. So that's, that's right. What, that's what we've seen this year. And, and we've seen that just in terms of how many people listen to this show and engage with this show, right? Like when we're winning, people are a lot happier to hear <laughs> yeah. people talk about us and FC than when we're losing. We appreciate that. Yeah, I think we should revisit the whole wolf in, wolf out thing, if for nothing else, so that I can say I told you so to some people. <laughs> but we don't have time to do that in this show. So Not today. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right, so the lineup here, there were, I guess, really only one su- semi-surprise, which was John Gallagher at left back. Uh, Chris and I predicted on the last show we kind of thought we might see Gallagher just to kind of compete with some of the speed that Houston has. Josh Wolf said in the post-game press conference that it was, he had planned for Kolmanich to start and that Kolmanich had uh, like a stomach bug or something and wasn't feeling well, like as late as like arriving in Houston, he was still planning on starting Kolmanich and ended up having to scratch him and start Gallagher. So um, I thought Gallagher looked good too. I thought he was solid again. Yeah. I thought he looked good too. Did you, I think he had an interesting point. Well, he the interview is going to be great. He had some good stuff to say in the interview. But that was kind of funny when you asked him about, like, does his speed make up for him being out of position? And he basically said, 
I mean, I'm not out of position, but yeah. I'm going fast. <laughs> so that's a thing to look forward to later. Because I feel like in this game, he was both fast and almost always in position. Yeah, he was solid, man. I like, I don't, it's not quite to Danny Pereira levels of like, you can't take me out of the game. Like, I'm not going to let you. But I, he's made a, a good argument for for Josh Wolf to not need to sign another left back, I think. Um, I, I think he's, he's, if not, if not the starting spot, I think he's at least solidified the backup spot for sure. For sure, so and I did. So I was listening to uh, to y'all do that. I was having was in Boston having some chowder on the bay, um, and when I was listening to podcasts, and like I said, y'all did a great job um, doing that. And I did like I, we've seen that whole like whole fullback substitution pattern. And I think what did y'all talk about the fact that Josh earlier said it was sort of an offensive thing and not a defensive thing. Yeah. Um, which we actually did not get this game, right? I guess we didn't have a choice because Kolmanich was not an option. Kolmanich was on the bench still. So he was there warming up. So I think he could have been put on. But also, I think uh, the early Stuver substitution maybe threw a wrench in things as well. And then uh, another sub, Finley, ended up coming off maybe earlier than expected as well. So he may still have planned to switch out the fullbacks. Uh, at some point and just ended up not being able to or not needing to because of the scoreline. But uh, yeah, let's jump into the goals here. So the first goal comes early in the fifth minute. So there was, um, I think, an Austin FC corner. It kind of gets recycled. Danny Pereira ends up with it on the right side and is kind of progressing, runs into a dead end, turns around and retreats backwards and plays a back pass just a little bit too softly to Stuver. So Stuver was already way off his line. And then this really soft back pass from, from Pereira makes him come even farther off of his line. So Stuver is what, like 45 yards from goal, like 10 to 15 yards from the midfield line. Yeah, he was so, and this is the second time already in the first five minutes he'd been I think earlier maybe wasn't quite that far out, but he was way, he was way high and way out more than once. Yeah. So, um, that part of it, like it's, I've seen a lot of people blaming Stuver for what comes next, which was Houston's first goal. I think there's like a few pieces of blame to be passed around here for various things that happened. So that moment Stuver having to hurriedly, come even further off his line to clear that ball. That's on Danny. What happens next, I think, is where you can criticize Stuver because he could have just booted it long or kicked it out of bounds or whatever, would have given him plenty of time to run back and get closer to goal where he can defend the line if he needs to. What he chooses to do instead is look up and kind of scan the horizon. He sees Diego Fagundes streaking up the right side. So he tries to play a through ball over the top to Diego plays a little too low. Uh, it ends up hitting Adam Lundquist in the chest, their left back. He chests it down to Sebastian Ferreira, the Houston striker. Ferreira uh, starts carrying it forward, takes one touch and then takes a crack from his own half. So I think it, it ended up being uh, officially 61 yards, but strikes it from 61 yards out and uh, Stuver at this point is sprinting back towards his own goal. And this ball is getting closer and closer and closer. Stuver jumps up, gets a hand on it, but just the angle and, and he, he couldn't get any leverage on it and was unable to keep it out. 
in the meantime, goes down, slides on the ground and hits his knee on the back little post in the goal there and goes down and he ends up needing attention. But that's Houston's first goal. And our starting keeper is on the ground and they're carrying a stretcher out to him. Right. So what did you think when he went down? Could you tell it was his knee? And from where we were, we were so far away. I thought he like broke his collarbone crashing into the net at one point from seeing that just for like the way he went down. I was super worried. Yeah. I mean, I was nervous that it was like a a head injury or something like that just because of, yeah. I mean, it was on the opposite end and we couldn't, I couldn't see anything from over there. So a little bit nervous. They finally, you can kind of see the, the medics over there taking, checking him out. And I think we get a sense that it's a leg at that point, but still don't know what it is. Um, finally, after the match, we get word from Josh Wolf that he had been in touch. They had taken Stuver to the hospital in Houston uh, to get it cleaned up. It turned out to be a laceration. So it's like a nasty cut on his knee. They took him to the hospital. I don't, I don't think we ever got confirmation on this. They said they might want to keep him overnight to just keep an eye on the wound and make sure everything got cleaned up and stitched up fine. I don't know if that ended up happening, but uh, Wolf said in the moment that they did not find any structural damage, which that seems like a thing you don't say unless you're like extremely sure. Unless you're worried. Yeah. Uh, Or unless you're worried about it in the first place. Yeah. And you're extremely sure about it later. Yeah. But I wouldn't Uh, be surprised if we don't see him this week. Yeah. No. Yeah. Stuver then tweeted out later that day or maybe the next day that he expects to be back soon. But if it's a, a cut bad enough to, to potentially keep him in the hospital overnight, like, yeah, I would not be surprised if, if we don't, see Tarbell in this next game. But uh yeah, best wishes to Brad. Hopefully it doesn't keep him out too long. But Andrew Tarbell came in and did a great job. <laughs> yeah, I think like his very first save he was a little bit shaky on. And then from that point on, like he he really did a great job of sort of yeah, fell fell on his role and it was not super easy. I mean they definitely had they had chances, you know, and they had they had Houston had sort of decent X goal numbers and he did a great job of of stopping shots and directing traffic and doing all the things that Austin FC brought him in to do. And I'm really happy right now that we didn't trade him for the best available asset. And, and we were, we didn't have Will Pulisic coming into this game or to 19 year old Damian Loss or Damian Loss, <laughs> I guess who, who would have been the choice? Cause he's the only other guy here right now, the only other guy in camp right now. But yeah, I like what I saw out of him. And I think there's a difference. Like the very first one he made was kind of shaky. And then like, there's another save he made like 20 minutes. And you're like, Oh yeah, this guy's, this is this is his game and he's feeling it, which has got to be tough, you know, having not yeah, I mean, played at co- all. To come in cold, like to not have having been played game, playing in games, and then to, like the mental preparedness to come into a game cold like that. Like, yeah, it has to be hard. And he did he did well. I think there are a few shaky moments. Uh you, you mentioned I think he they restarted play like in the ninth or tenth minute. In the eleventh minute, he faces a shot from Darwin Quintero that was hit really hard and he does well to save. I think in 21st minute or so, another Quintero shot. He faces another one from Ferreira not long after that. And so he he did face a lot of pretty tough shots and his shot stopping was good. I think there were a few shaky moments, including the very last play of the game. Uh, there was a ball kind of... Uh, Houston had a corner was the, their last play of the game. And the ball gets headed around and is bouncing around and then bounces over the top right in front of him. And Thor Ulfarsson, their second striker, 
is kind of charging him and Tarbell doesn't come off the line and just kind of standing there for a second. And then finally realizes like, no, this is mine. I got to go get it and steps up and grabs it just before Ulf Larson gets to him. So that terrified me. And there were a couple of moments, not quite as terrifying as that, but a little bit scary, but yeah, shot stopping wise, Tarbell was lights out. So um, great job there. As far as the entire team reaction, like I think after that goal, last year's Austin FC team does not come back and win this game. Like, no chance. You think so? I, we never saw it. That's, you know, what do we rally from behind and win once the whole year in Denver? Yeah, like our second or third game ever. Yeah. Or I guess, I think it was, <laughs> yeah, I guess, I guess it was, no, it was total. It was, that's three, I think it was three times last year total that we came from behind and twice we ended up equalizing and then losing. So I think, Again, that's a good example of this team having a different mentality overall. Yeah, so uh, it was quite hot, like in the high 80s and and pretty humid. So they did do hydration breaks. I noticed before the hydration break and even after this that they were working really hard to try to mark Danny Pereira out of influencing this game. So Quintero and Ferreira, they they kind of uh, defend in the same shape that Austin does. They'll drop into kind of like a 4-4-2 and it was Darwin Quintero and Sebastian Ferreira as those top two players kind of leading the press. And they were both kind of helping each other, but a lot of times it was Sebastian Ferreira that was marking up on Danny Pereira and trying to keep him off the ball. Because if you've watched any film on Austin, you know that Danny Pereira has been extremely influential in our attack this year. So uh, not a bad idea to try to keep him from getting on the ball. After this hydration break, I noticed a shift and I don't know if it's a thing that the players worked out themselves. Uh, it could have been a thing that the coaching staff noticed and the hydration break gave them a chance to talk to the players and, and tell them about it. But what we ended up seeing is uh, Danny Pereira, instead of just like staying that lone deep six and kind of running side to side, trying to find a space to receive the ball, he would occasionally run wide as the ball was played wide to a fullback he would float wide and kind of go out into the wide space there and uh one of the other central midfielders mostly Driussi as as the game went on Driussi would kind of go back around and drop into that sixth position and Sebastian Ferreira who was marking Pereira really tightly he would follow Danny out wide and then Driussi would drop into the midfield and just be wide open and they'd be able to pass it to him and he'd turn and he had all the time in the world to kind of make a decision. And this actually led to Austin's first goal, which was in the 39th minute. So that exact thing happens. I think it's, it's off of we're defending a corner maybe. Yeah. I was going to say we, we, at 38, we almost gave up a goal because it was, I was on that corner and the defense was kind of ball watching. And then, um, Oh, that's right. Yeah. Uh, Gabrielson kind of, he was marking one guy, but didn't notice there was another one coming behind. And just kind of stopped and let a ball go and thought it was going to go outside. But I may have been Pasher who was running in behind that like got onto the ball and like very easily could have put it in. Uh, But yeah, after that, Tarbell takes a quick goal kick and gets the ball up. Um, Danny sees space out wide as Gallagher receives the ball. So he moves into that space. Drew C just like stays put and drops into the sixth position. They play the ball there. The, the midfield's already a little bit out of sorts because of um, what Danny had done. 
And so Drew, see, nobody's putting pressure on him. He just kind of assesses the field. As that happens, Uruti drops deeper, kind of into like the tin position in between lines. Drew, see, finds him. Uruti touches it one time over to ring. And so talking about like this rotation that happens that leads to this goal, Uruti drops into the tin position, lays it off to ring. Ring starts driving. As ring is driving, Diego, who is out wide, shifts over into the nine, like in the striker position, and they start kind of crashing the goal. So Diego is running at the goal. Uruti is behind him running at the goal. As ring plays it up the right side to Finley, uh, Diego makes a near post run and drags two or three defenders with him. And as Finley cuts back to kind of play a, a lofted cross back into the box, Danny Pereira has now shifted into that left wing position and is completely by himself on the backside of the box. So um, Finley does a really nice job of playing it just over the top of all the defenders. Danny crashes, jumps up into the air and and finishes it into the back of the net. So overall, like a really well-worked goal, not, not necessarily like a stunning finish. And Danny actually uh, almost played it right at the keeper. So if he had played a little bit higher, it probably would have gotten saved. But um, overall, as far as the movement, the passing, the the just stretching of that defense and and shifting them out of where they wanted to be a really well-worked goal by Austin. Yeah, it was. And for all those reasons, I think with Cecilio out and Finley playing a lot more, I think people have been disappointed about Ethan Finley as a starter, but I feel like that, that cross that he put in is like the best of Ethan Finley and exactly what everybody expected. Everybody wanted to see out of him when we signed him. So it was great to see him do that. And then also for that, to be uh, that to 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 lead the goals. I mean, I don't know what's da- yeah. Danny didn't hit the ball, maybe amazingly, but it was the right play in the right moment because there was not and, it, and it's in the Louvre now. I guess is the other thing <laughs> yeah. about it. Yeah, well, well, I'll try to remember to put that in the show <laughs> notes. But if y'all haven't seen that photo, somebody I think it was uh, Quesadilla on Twitter said put it in the Louvre, and an Austin FC fan who just happens to be in Paris right now. Uh, took that seriously and took an iPad into the Louvre and held it up in front of the Mona Lisa. The Mona Lisa, yeah. <laughs> and has a photo of that now. So that's pretty wonderful. Um, you mentioned the best of Ethan Finley. So this is a thing that whenever I went back and was watching video of, a thing that I really liked that he would do is get to that point, like the point where the box meets the end line, like the 18-yard box meets the end line. He would get to that spot, have his head up, and make like clever little lofted crosses into the box for assists. And that's the thing I really liked, and we haven't seen him do that for Austin, really. Uh, a lot of the things I like about Finley, we haven't seen him do. And I think we saw some of those things in this game, and this cross was was a good example. So I'm glad to see him, um, yeah, just finding a bit more of a role in this team. I think the other thing we saw of him is, the the way that the two wingers were playing was very different. So Diego was more um, coming. He would receive the ball wide, but would often kind of bring the ball back in to combine with the midfielders. Finley, on the other hand, was he would do that some, but very often they would play the ball over to the left-hand side and then look back across to Finley for a long ball in behind, which it came off a couple of times. Um but just having that threat there is useful 
keeping that left back and the left center back honest about where their positioning is and knowing that I can't cheat too much because I know that this guy is going to run in behind and they're not afraid to play that ball there. So uh, hopefully we can hone that a little bit more and make it a bit more dangerous going forward. But I thought just the threat of it was useful during this game. So then, I mean, not, um, I think not a ton happens between then and then and halftime. I felt like, but from about from the moment where Tarbell sort of settled into himself, which is maybe like ten minutes in to the rest of the half, like awesome is definitely a more dangerous team. Yeah, and, and they were on the front foot. And I, the only other thing I think that notable that happened is like Alex Ring tried to draw a penalty. They went at like forty five. He went down in the box. Maybe there was a tiny bit of contact. He did a great job in selling it from my angle in the stands and then from the first angle they played on tv i was certain it was a penalty and then the second angle they played on tv it showed that he did a a pretty good job of of uh faking the contact playing his way into that yeah but from the right angle you can see there's space in between and that nobody actually touched him (laughs) well then and then a halftime whistle came super early which you noted in the stands because uh yes what what was that so they, so right it, was six, a it was six minutes of extra time, of added time. Uh, Danny Pereira gets a shot in the box at like essentially the 45 plus six mark. Uh, it gets saved. It, it would have been amazing if Danny had scored a brace in this. We, we've been waiting for a Danny goal anyway. That, that one was his first MLS goal ever, his first professional goal. So for him to get two would have been amazing. But we get a corner off of that. The corner is not given, which is like 15 seconds after time. Like you usually give that because there's always some kind of stoppage. And so 15 seconds after time and they don't give the corner, which at the end of the game, what happens is Houston Houston does the same thing and gets the corner, right? It's six minutes of extra time or however many it was. It's 15 seconds after the ball goes out and he gives them the corner which was infuriating to me. <laughs> uh, the, the official for, for the record was a guy named Ted Uncle, who is pretty notorious for not being very good at refereeing very, very soccer good. games. <laughs> which is not a great thing to be when you're refereeing soccer games at the highest level of, um, in this country. Referring to Ted Uncle again, one thing I thought was very entertaining on my rewatch was at one point Felipe thought he was fouled and he started yelling at the referee by his first name. He was saying, Ted, Ted, <laughs> and like pointing at his foot because I don't know, you're going to see cleat marks on it. Right, you're fouled. I remember that. I don't know. But he was calling him by his first name, which was pretty, uh, pretty great. Um, so, yeah. In the 65th minute, Austin makes their first substitutions. And so the first sign we see being held up by the fourth official is number 22 for number eight. So Felipe for ring. Uh, They take the moment to do the hydration break here. And so in in kind of that little delay, Ethan Finley is – calling for a sub and I don't, I'm not sure exactly what the deal is. If he was cramping or what the deal was, but he was having trouble and calling for a sub. And so they put ring back on, or I guess he never actually came off, but um, Felipe comes on for Finley and then Danny Husing comes on for Maxi Ruti. And so ring goes out to the right wing, which we've seen 
in at least one game now, if not a couple of games at this point. Um, and then Danny Hooson starts up top. So I kind of thought Hooson had it was like, I, I didn't mind seeing Hooson come in here. I, Maxi had done a ton of running and it was very hot. And so um not surprised they were going to pull him out, but the way that we were kind of moving around and shifting their defense around, I thought Danny Hooson had an opportunity to really be dangerous. I don't know that that necessarily happened a lot. I thought Danny, Danny Hooson was fine. Uh, he came in and I feel like Austin was more so, I guess we weren't as like as much on the front foot as we had been by that point. Uh, yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, he was okay. I did want to talk about the subs in depth in general because I don't. This we talk about the changes during the off season. So in those moves and the ones we made later, like I don't know if we have the guys to change games. Like when we're behind. Like there's we don't have a depth to kind of rally from two nil down or whatever. But if you're level or if you're ahead, like we definitely have the depth to bring quality MLS talent in that can like eat minutes and see out a game. That's what I feel like the kind of the match that Danny had. Houston had, you know, I, I know we came in at one, one and like we went up two one, but it's like, yeah, he's doing fine and he's, he's all right. And we don't have to worry about that just being like a black hole, um, which I think is definitely an improvement, which leads me to a Patreon question we have from Chris Haig, which is says it's been over a month since we last saw Cecilia Dominguez on the pitch without him. What are your thoughts on our depth at Wenger? Yeah, uh, I agree with what you just said. Like, I don't, think we have game changers which could lead like could prove to be a problem going forward but um yeah like ring out on the wing i think is a safe pair of hands but he's not going to be his skill set is not necessarily like home like perfect right, for that right. position uh owen wolf came in late in the game and again minute eater like be a, as annoying as you can be like he did great at that, but if we're down two one and you put Owen Wolf in at right wing, doesn't give me a ton of confidence at this point in time. Yeah, so all, same all with that... Rodney Redes or Jared Stroud or most of the other guys you could put in. Like I'm not feeling great about their ability to to, to claw a game back. Yeah, all that to say, like two minutes after those subs were made. The game went from one. I think it was about two, right? It went from a it was, one. It was one, the first. It was ten seconds of restart. So, oh, is that those, right? Those okay. subs got made, and we had a, a free kick. And so, uh, Julio Cascante plays a cross field ball off the free kick to Diego on the left wing. Um, Houston. So Houston made two subs as well. They subbed on Darwin Seren <laughs> for Darwin Quintero. So Darwin for Darwin changed there, and push Carasquia a little bit further forward. Um, they never really kind of like didn't really get their shape set up. And so as we're, we're playing that free kick in um, two defenders kind of follow Diego out wide. And then Tim Parker is in the box with Drewsi right in front of him. But because the ball's wide, Tim Parker doesn't want to drift too far out of the box in case someone like they play a cross in or something. And so Diego plays it in between his two defenders to Drewsi Drusy turns. Corey Baird at this point is is approaching him from behind. So Drusy does well to turn away from that pressure. And as he turns, uh, there's like a midfielder on one side of him, Tim Parker on the other side of him, 
and Corey Baird behind him, and none of them really step up to put any pressure on Jerusi. So Jerusi does a good job of taking a touch like a little bit backwards, like away from goal to give himself the space and nobody's closing him. And so he sees that far, far corner hits a beauty right into the top, the top corner on the far side. And I, I turn around after that and, and said to, uh, to maybe you and Mike, uh, Mike Ellison, who's sitting near us, like that's an MP- MVP finish. And then after the game, we saw that Austin FC also posted a highlight of that video with the exact same caption MV- <laughs> MVP finish. <laughs> um, but it was a beautiful goal. Yeah, it was. And I was going to talk about you know, Jerusi a little bit later, but the guy's like a mainstay on the, the team of the week. And he went from this underground. Well, when we interviewed uh, Doyle, right, we talked about how maybe he, he would be like a sleeper MVP candidate to like, I think he's in the conversation, right? It's not even a sleeper anymore with where he sits as far as leading the league in goals. And like, he's getting a ton of attention. And I mean, he is, I think you said this, like he does all the things right, even if the goals weren't coming. And he's also yeah. scoring a ton, of, and he's also scoring a ton of goals too. Yeah, you, you, he could play a game where he does not score a goal, does not get an assist, and he would very likely have still been very influential and a very useful player to have on the field. And so the fact that he does all those other things right and is also scoring and getting an assist almost every game he plays, uh, yeah, I mean, I think the only reason he's not in every MVP conversation is because he's new to the league and. He hasn't done this three seasons in a row. The guys who have done those things get more of the benefit of the doubt. So Carlos Vela, he had an MVP season. We know he can do it. And so he's going to get talked about a little bit more. Um, Drew, see, at this point is kind of new. And like there's still the possibility in some people's mind that he this is a flash in the pan. He's going he's gonna to calm down. I think we've seen enough of him to know that, yeah, he might go through a quieter run of games but the guy's for real and uh yeah i i mean he's golden boot leader right now seven goals uh three assists i think by the way diego fagundes leads the league in assists with seven at this point and so um yeah i mean i think i think it's impossible not to have him in the mvp conversation at this point uh let's hope that he can stay in that conversation yeah, I wanted to ask about how'd you like Fat Bob had Diego as the player of the match or whatever for Austin FC. And I felt like for a long time he was just kind of running around and I don't know. I, I didn't feel like he stood out, but then I think I think maybe, maybe I missed it or maybe he was better later or whatever. But just somehow, like the like my eyeball test on the game Diego played and what other people saw in him, I don't feel like matched up. I think Diego is really good. I think he did a lot of stuff that was not um I'm not sure like what the what Fat Mob scores go into how they're picking the man of the match, but he did a lot of stuff just like here an example. So there was a lot of times when the center backs would push up or Danny would have the ball in the middle and Diego would be on like on the chalk line with a defender pretty close to him and players would never hesitate to just hum a ball to Diego's feet. And the defender was close enough. He wasn't going to let him turn and run up the line, but Diego could turn and run like play back out of pressure and draw defenders in and then play the ball out and then keep, keep it moving. And just little things like that. Like, yeah, I mean, that's not a goal, but 
that's not an assist, but it's just like little things like that that Diego is always so good at that I thought he was extremely useful in this game at those kinds of things. Like they weren't playing that ball to Finley on the other side. If it was on the other side and they had Finley and Ring there, they would play the short ball to Ring. And then on the other side, if they had uh, Drew C or whoever, and then Diego even further out on, on that wing, they would hum that ball to Diego's feet, trusting that that he was going to do that. That's he's going to play out of yeah. it. He's going to do something with it. And so this is like, I think I've said Diego things on, on the show before referring to like a way of playing the game. And Diego just does stuff like that all the time. It's just like so safe, so creative in like getting out of those positions or finding a way to combine with someone and do things. And I feel like he did a lot of that in this game. I don't know if any of those things uh, added up to his fought mob score for being I, man of the match or not, but <laughs> yeah. I don't know. That's that. That was not really the, the the main point. It was just more that like I did I didn't see a lot of those things, and I felt like I was probably missing some things, which is why I went in and asked you about it. So yeah, we didn't see a ton beyond that. We saw Josh Wolf pick up a yellow card. Other yeah. than other than, <laughs> other than the. The almost goal you talked about, we saw Josh Wolfs get pick up a yellow card at what ninety ninety one or whatever somewhere in extra time. Yeah, I think it was not long after um, Tim Parker just like lays out Sebastian Driussi. Oh, that's right on the sideline. And in the moment, I kind of thought it should have been a red on the replay. Like, I think it's one of those that like probably wouldn't get given a red every time but probably should have been given a red like it was malicious and like pretty violent <laughs> the way that parker ran through him i think he yeah. gets away with it just because he's a, an enormous man and like gets the benefit of the doubt of like oh you're just really big and people fall you're over just big you and clumsy them. yeah but it seemed intentional to me well, one one other moment I wanted to talk about I forgot about was like I felt Gabrielson had a good game and there was like a ball he just ate at around like eighty six I don't remember who kicked it it was the uh, was it the one that he just like stuck his foot out and it just stopped on it just like stopped on it yeah that was yeah. the one I was thinking about <laughs> yeah I think um, overall I think he did there's that one moment we mentioned earlier where he didn't see the guy running in behind which could have led to a goal that it would have been on him one hundred percent but. Uh, aside from that, yeah, I thought really, really good to be in the right spot at the right time, winning aerial balls um, and fighting guys that were coming into his box. So I thought he was good. I thought Julio was good uh, as a distributor again, which is kind of a role that he's taken on this year. Like, I just feel like the game plan just suits Julio so much better this year. And they're putting him in a position to succeed as opposed to last year, which often felt like we were putting him in a position to fail, especially against teams like Houston with, with Fafa Pico running up that, that side. Um, so what, what did you think about Nick Lima? Cause I've seen conflicting opinions on him. I've seen some people say that he was amazing. He was fighting so hard, but I saw him kind of being beat up by, uh, by Fafa Pico a little bit, just like, he Pico would check in to receive the ball and Lima would follow him. And then Pico would just turn and sprint past him. And Lima would just like running for dear life, like hoping he will eventually catch up if Pico makes a bad touch on the ball or something. Well, the first note of the, in my player notes, the first thing I had written is that Fafa Pico always terrifies me. So, I mean, I agree with that. So I don't know how much of that's just 
Pico's speed and the way he plays and just you know, Nick Lima. That's one thing. You know, we talked about how everybody talked about how slow Austin FC was last year, right? And Nick Lima was the only player like in the top 100 in speed um, for the team. And other than Juicy, that, that hadn't changed a lot. But yeah, man, he seemed like he was he seemed like he was working really hard. I thought he had a Pico never converted on any of those things. Like he so he did enough to have him make the mistake. So I think he had a fine game, but yeah, I just I, I, I find Papa Pico to be terrifying just overall. Yeah, no, yeah, to yeah, to Lima's credit, um every time that Pico did beat him, which like that seems like kind of an, an inevitability. And so I'm curious as to like what what the coaching staff was telling Lima to do on Pico because you also don't want to just let him drop in and receive the ball and then your press is broken and they're just passing through the midfield. So it's kind of damned if you do damned if you don't kind of thing. And so, but yeah, every time they got in behind, like Lima did a decent job to just contain until Austin could recover. And it seems like we always did. And he did a good job of just kind of like ushering him into another defender until he had to pass the ball out. And so um, I, I thought, uh, Darwin Quintero is really their only player that was causing trouble in and around the box on a regular basis. And he came out like after 65 minutes, um, Carasquilla was breaking our press on his own at times just by dribbling out of pressure. Uh, but it often didn't really lead to much just because I don't think without Quintero on the field and firing, they just don't have a lot of creativity up top. Uh, it's really just speed. And so if they beat you, just hold on until you get help. And that, <laughs> you that get seems back. to yeah. be what we did every time. And it worked for the most part. Yeah, so it does. So we take this one 2-1. We have another come-from-behind victory on the road, which apparently is our new way to to operate in matches. Um, I saw a bunch of people taking shots out of polio on the bus. <laughs> yes, lots of alcohol was drank out of the polio, the polio uh, including... During, uh, you guys should go watch the latest video from We Are Austin TV. Uh, Bocha Fagundes, Diego's father and agent, did an interview with Hernan on We Are Austin TV and also took a drink of beer out of the chicken. <laughs> of the chicken. <laughs> so that uh, leads me to, I've got, I've Rick, got another Patreon Ray Castello also tried to get uh, Coach Wolf to, to go to get Wolf. I saw that too. He respectfully declined. <laughs> Yeah, I think that was a good idea. I feel like he would have done that for anything. But yeah, I was going to say, so Sean Collins asked, should Gracky be worried that Polio is the fan favorite for mascot? And I feel like Polio is just like an unstoppable train of greatness and emotion at this point. Yeah, Gracky is still essentially just a concept. <laughs> That's until, true. Until it exists for real, Polio's the, the, the king around here. So, All right, Before we get into talking about May, that's probably a good point in time to take a break. And we're actually going to, it's one of my favorite things to do. We're going to talk about a couple sponsors that we've not talked about before. All right, yeah, so y'all hang tight. We'll be right back. If you're listening to this podcast, you probably love podcasts. I love podcasts, and a good podcast that we should all check out is the Austin Daily Drop, which is a gathering of the local news stories that are impactful and interesting from Chris Mosier, who's a longtime Austin veteran who's been involved in the media since 1993. I've followed him on Twitter for a long time, and I'm super happy to have him sponsoring the show and us promoting the work that he's doing. Yeah, so Austin Daily Drop covers everything from city government, local business, sports, live music, uh, dining, 
pretty much anything that's that's notable, interesting, or important that's happening in Austin. Um, Chris picks news items that um, catch his eye. He's he doesn't add any opinion or editorializing. It's just things that are happening in Austin, which I I really appreciate. It's I I historically have been like a pretty big public radio listener. But I'm not in my car as much as I used to be and like don't have a ton of time to listen to enough radio to get all of the local news that I would want. And so Austin Daily Drop is an excellent way to get that in like a pretty quick little hit, which I really appreciate. Yeah, you've mentioned it. So it comes out every Monday through Friday, every morning, usually by by 8 a.m. Takes 8 to 10 minutes, gives you everything you need in terms of a day as far as the digest goes. So it's a quick, easy and reliable way to sort of know everything that you need to know about what is going on in Austin on a daily basis. Yeah. So check out the Austin Daily Drop. If you give Chris 10 minutes, he'll give you Austin. All right, Landon, sometimes I have good ideas and sometimes I have dumb ideas. And sometimes I have things that seem fun at the time and maybe they aren't. And so I've recently signed up for the uh, Austin version of the Spartan race on May 21st. And what does a Spartan race entail? So a Spartan race entails either a 5K or a 10K run along with 20 or 25 obstacles. And uh, of those things, can you guess which ones of those I signed up for? Uh, The longer one? The longer one with the more obstacles. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So I plan to run a lot, climb over things, get muddy, hopefully not injure myself, hopefully make it to to the Austin FC versus... uh, What's the match on the May 22nd? Um, can't remember. Maybe Orlando. That sounds right. All I'm saying is I'm going to run this race the morning of March 21st and hope that by March 22nd, I'm recovered <laughs> enough to be able to, to make it to the game. Yeah, so, so I would, we're, we're, uh, I would encourage all of y'all to do this. <laughs> we're working on uh, next week. We'll, we'll probably have uh, some codes that maybe we can give out to a few listeners to join Jeremiah in this race. But if it's something you're interested in, check it out. You can... Uh, either laugh at Jeremiah as you run past him, or you guys can be a support system for each other as you're suffering together. Yes, pick me up somewhere on the side of the road as we try to make it through. So yeah, you can check out, it's race.spartan.com and then pick the Austin race. And it should be, um, it's a thing I've never done before. And I think it's something I'm looking forward to. All right, we are back. We're going to talk about the month of May. So in April, I think several episodes, right after the San Jose game, actually, which was the first game of April, which was a draw, Jeremiah, you and I talked about how many points would be acceptable in the month of April. I think we settled on like eight or nine, and Austin ended up getting 13 points in the month of April. So not too shabby. Uh, In the month of May, though, the competition is going to be quite a bit stiffer. Uh, than it has been for pretty much the whole season. So the upcoming game is against LA Galaxy. Um, The next weekend, they play RSL away. So RSL is currently in fifth place in the West. The Galaxy are in third place in the West. Then midweek, we play LAFC away. LAFC is in first place in the West right now. Uh, May 22nd, we play Orlando at home. Orlando is currently in third place in the East, so doing pretty well also. And then we play LA Galaxy again away on the 29th so it's a pretty tough run of games um which leads to uh, another patreon question from ryan parker he asked what do you think our point total will be at the end of may so how many points 
do you think we can expect out of Austin FC during May? So we have we have 20 right now because I like that he didn't ask how many we should get out of May, but how many we have at the end of the month. So I did have to go back and do the math on that. So with a 20 right now, God, I feel like slightly over a point in a match would be a great result for May. So like eight out of five would be a really good May. Yeah, I think so too. And I was I was curious if we were like underestimating Austin again by giving a lower number than what they did in April, but it it is really a much tougher schedule. So I think eight is, would be a pretty decent return considering uh, three of these are on the road and then eight of Austin's next 11 will be on the road. So it's actually extends past May. The, the tougher schedule does. Yeah. That, that, yeah. That's what I was thinking too. It's like, it's both of those things, like the, both the step up in competition and the fact that, we're going to have a more on the road than we had before. It makes it that may, may is going to be a real test. And, but if we can hang on through that, like you have to feel like they've finally proven themselves in the eyes of, I think they've proven themselves in the eyes of us that all love them, but also like, you know, the national media and everybody else too. If like may isn't a disaster, I think that's a big statement. Yeah, absolutely. So that first game we mentioned is against LA galaxy. Jeremiah, do you want to give us a very quick history lesson on the galaxy? Absolutely. So, uh, they were a charter member of the league in 1996. They are the reason why the designated player rules exist. And I think they're also the reason why there's this sort of MLS rules change whenever the LA Galaxy need to make something happen, <laughs> which is sort of a bit of folklore. Uh, but yeah, David Beckham, Landon Donovan, Robbie Keane, they had a ton of success. They won five MLS Cups between, 20, between 2002 and 2014. And I think we, you mentioned earlier, you were talking about how Seattle's been like really, really good for the last five years. And I feel like the only comparable experience is sort of like LA in that like early 2000s to 2010 in terms of just dominating every competition that the league had to offer. Yeah. And I feel like why the galaxy is maybe not in that conversation now is because they did have so many years of not being very good. Yeah. So they also built like the first, in my memory, like that was just the first stadium that people would call like a soccer palace or whatever. Like I know, see, I know Columbus had like the first soccer specific stadium, but I feel like the stadium in Carson, which was I think maybe Home Depot at the time, I think the that's first, right. Was the first one where I felt like at this point it was the first one I felt like it's like oh this is like a twenty eight thousand seat like big deal soccer specific stadium so they deserve some credit for that too. Now as you said, they've missed the playoffs four times in the last five years. Last year they finished eighth, just outside of the hunt. Uh, Chicharito led the team in goals with seventeen, so he had a strong recovery from the year before. When he scored almost no goals, if I think it was two, if any and all, if two, so he's clearly sort of uh, acclimating to LA a little bit. Um, but they're a lot better this year, and they've they've you know they're players in and players out. But I feel like adding um, Greg Vanny is probably the biggest thing that they've done in terms of like changing the culture and changing the club. Yeah, it really does seem that way. So. Uh... A couple of big names that left are Jonathan Dos Santos. Uh, they brought in Marky Delgado from Toronto as kind of his deplace, replacement as that holding midfielder. And then Sebastian Legette is now in New England. Uh, he's been replaced by kind of a cast of characters. Uh, Douglas Costa, who played for Bayern Munich, was very highly rated and still an extremely talented player, has been brought in. I think his output put has been maybe not quite what they would want it to be, but he's still an extremely dangerous player 
whenever he has the ball at his feet. Um, I think early on they were projected to be kind of a fringe playoff team, but uh, I think people are unsure of their of their defense, which actually the defense has been pretty stingy. They've only given up seven goals this season, which I think is tied for second place in the entire league. So, so they, they haven't given up a ton of goals, really. They've also only scored 10 goals, which people thought they would be able to score, and they haven't done a ton of that either. So uh, Chicharito has five of those goals, and then nobody else on the team has more than one at this point. <laughs> um, I think their, their wingers have really underperformed, including Douglas Costa. Uh, but they have another striker named Jovalich who has come on and scored as a sub two weeks in a row. One of them got marked off for a handball during the play. But um, Matt Doyle has kind of predicted that he might see them switch to a 3-5-2, which would allow them to get both Chicharito and Jovalich on the field at the same time. Uh, they have uh, their left back, Raheem Edwards, who's a newer addition, has been really dangerous. And then they have uh, Julian Araujo on at right fullback. So if they did a 3-5-2, they would be able to push Edwards and Araujo higher up, bring in an extra center back instead of one of those wingers who haven't been producing, and then also get this uh, this second striker on the field. So that might be a thing to look for if, if Greg Vanny decides to change anything. Um, I feel like this is a it's a good matchup for Austin though. It it's a team not playing exactly the same way, but Vanny wants to control the game, wants to control the ball, and he wants to keep his opponent from doing that, which is kind of what Austin wants to do as well. So I think that is going to be really interesting to watch is who can kind of take the steering wheel of this game and really impose their will on the other team. And I think this is I think this is one where Austin sort of developed this over the last this season and the last part of last season, this like uh, home field advantage, you know, this is a kind this is kind of matchup where if that is true, if Q two is really going to become like a fortress, this is maybe we lose here in a few weeks, but this is the kind of match that we should go ahead and win because of the way the matchups are and because that we're because we're playing in our in our home in front of our fans in front of our fans that Josh Wolf gave a ton of credit to when he did when he did the interview. Yeah. So uh, how how do you feel about this one? I will be hopeful. I will not be watching because it's my wife's birthday and oh. it's Mother's Day. Um, so I will record it and and, and uh, watch it later. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm interested in how it goes, and I, I mean I feel good about it. I feel better than I have than I would have last year if we were had the same matchup. Yeah, I think this is like this is one that it's a good team, but I also like I'm not afraid of them. I'm afraid of us against them if that makes sense. Like Chicharito is dangerous enough that if you give him half a chance, he's going to, he's going to finish. Uh, Douglas Costa, even though he hasn't been amazing, he's extremely talented. And even if this is the only goal he scores in the next two months, he's capable of doing it and doing it in, in an amazing fashion. So um, they have a few guys like that who, who can do really amazing things. They're not always doing it right now, but they're capable of it. So uh, I I think if whatever keeper we see, if it's Tarbell, if he's stopping shots like he was against Houston, I think he'll be okay. If we don't uh, give up any dumb transition moments or like just give the ball away in stupid areas, 
I think we'll be okay. I mean, we're, we're moving the ball against every team we play. This is a, a slightly better team than what we've played, but um, nobody's really been able to stop us from moving the ball around the field so far. And so if we can do that and finish like we've been finishing and then just play a decently solid defensive game, we can we can beat this team and every team that we're playing in May. So I think it's, it's about Austin not beating themselves in, in a lot of these games. All right, like you want to talk to John Gallagher, like Let's as if we, it. yeah, as if as if we haven't already talked to John Gallagher like a week ago, but yeah, yes, we, did it, we, we did it several days ago, but uh, it it was a lot of fun. Um, I'm excited for y'all to hear it. But John is a great dude. We get into uh, his position change, um, some like team dynamics, and then we we have some some friends of ours sending some questions. So hang tight, we'll be right back with an interview with John Gallagher. All right, we're doing another ticket giveaway. Thanks to Sage Wilson Property Group for the game on May 8th. To enter, go to moontowersoccer.com, click on the free ticket giveaway in the top navigation bar, or click on the link in the show notes and fill out the form. This is made possible by Sage Wilson Property Group. So if you're someone you know or in need of Sage real estate advice in Austin, you should talk to our friends at Sage Wilson Property Group. And as always, Moon Tower Soccer is brought to you by our friends at FEF Law, the official injury lawyers of Austin FC. FEF is a different kind of personal injury law firm dedicated to community, transparency, and client education. You can go to FEF.law to find out what makes FEF a different kind of injury law firm and why understanding your legal options can dramatically change the outcome of a case. Once again, that's FEF.law. All right, we are joined by Austin FC's John Gallagher. John, thanks for joining us, man. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to it. Uh, so I'd like to kind of pick your brain about the the mindset of the team this season seems to have shifted a little bit since last season. It's visible on the field. There seems to be a, a sense of camaraderie and a sense of belief that um, wasn't always there last year. What has that looked like through through your eyes having been here f- for both seasons? Yeah, I think you, you hit it right on the head. There's um, belief, you know, belief in the system. Uh, belief in the tactics, belief in, in in what the coaching staff wants from us. I think last year we had we played a lot of good soccer, but um, unfortunately we were missing a couple key pieces. Um, you know, a, a true number nine, a guy like Drusi. Um, you know, those players are needed to execute the style of soccer that we want to play. And um, this year, I think you're, you're seeing a, a much more fluid and and uh, confident team. Well, to follow up on that, you've had some personnel changes too, right? You brought some new players in both during the year and then during the off season. Are there like specific uh, new guys that have come in and sort of helped change the culture or set the culture for the better? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're going to get different personalities anytime there's a, a change up in the locker room. Um, for the most part, you know, there's a lot of familiar faces from last year, but um, a couple of key parts, you know, you bring in... Um, you know, it's funny when you look around the league and the teams that are successful, they've got a lot of MLS veterans. You bring in guys like Maxi and, and Felipe who have played, I mean, I don't know, X amount of games and been in the league for, for a long, long time. Um, and then, I mean, I don't need to speak much about Jerusalem. He, he speaks for himself on the pitch. The difference that he's made has, has been has been amazing. Um, but yeah, another guy like Ruben. Ruben's a leader. Um I know he's been a captain on a couple of teams that he's played with in Europe. Um, so just like more personality, more maturity um, definitely goes a long way. And so Brad Stuver did post-game interview the other night and he was asked by a few people, like 
with guys like Mac, like the guys you just mentioned, are there specific things that guys like that do to bring that leadership? Or is it just the, like the little things that, that they do every day? Like, or can you name any specific things that guys like that bring? Uh, I mean, F Felipe is like a little buzzing bee. He's always, always up to something. He's always trying to get guys together to play <laughs> 5v2 before training when guys are tired. He's, um, yeah, I just say he's a busy, busy guy. Um, but I mean, guys like Maxi, it's, it's important how they integrate into the team. You know, it's not nothing particularly specific that they do, but, you know, guys take to him and, and guys want to be around him. He's, he's not just like close with the, the South American guys. He's also, you know, built relationships with the domestic guys. And I think that's really important. So um, as far as your role on the field, uh, you've made a pretty big switch this year. I guess it may, maybe started at the end of the year last year, but at what point did kind of your transition to fullback fully happen? Did that happen at the end of last season or was it more of a thing this off season? Um, it's fun. It's funny how it works. Uh, so obviously Nick, Nick goes down in warmups against Kansas and I was supposed to be on the bench and, um, Dave Yarno, our assistant coach, was kind of like, get yourself ready. And I just told him, like, I'll do it. Like, he's like, have you played right back before? I'm like, yeah, I've played right back before. Like, I can do it. As I said, I said, put me in. I want to I play. But let's do it. Nothing to lose. Like, um, so, yeah, it went well. Um, and then end of season end of season meeting with uh, Josh and Claudio. I, they didn't bring it up. I brought it up. I was like, what do you think about me, like, playing more fullback? Um, you know, I, I, I felt like I could do... Um, a lot of good there for the team. I feel like I can have a long career there uh, in the league. Uh, and they they said like, yeah, we'll, we'll see like how it goes. You know, the plan was kind of still to play as a winger, but maybe help out if needed. And then in preseason, um, yeah, I think it, one one or two guys were missing one day, and I played there, and it went well. And so like, right, let's keep keep going, see how you do in preseason. It's kind of like to test it out. And uh, yeah, it went really well in all the all the pre preseason scrimmages trainings um i think every review i got was positive um so yeah I've, I've enjoyed it it's uh i played there plenty in my career um not as much in the last few years so it wasn't like a complete you know 180 um so or like foreign so i had a little bit of experience yeah I, i've whenever um you first signed i went and watched um some footage you were playing over in scotland playing you played quite a bit of wing back there didn't you yeah, yeah, like I played. Five, five um, back. I played. I played wing back. I played right back. I played center mid. I played an eight, ten. I played. I played everywhere in my career, apart from goalie. So, <laughs> uh, Crazy. so I've. I think I heard you all. Maybe not outright say this, but all but say that you don't like playing defender in past interviews, and now you seem to have really embraced that role. Is that like mentally, emotionally, is that a difficult thing for you to do? Uh, I, I think I've had to, um, but for me, you know, I just want to play. And, um, I think if you look at guys that have prolonged their career, I look at, you know, like Graham Zussi for sporting, who was a winger originally, and then all of a sudden has been playing, you know, four or five years at, at right back. And he's, I don't know his, his age, but I know he's, you know, MLS vet He's probably 35 ish I want to guess. And, and I kind of look at that and say like, right, that's a, probably a way I can prolong my career. I look at the rate of turnover in any league of a winger. And, you know, as soon as you don't 
produce goals and assists, they're, they're, they're going out to get, you know, more expensive player. So um, for me, it was like, all right, like how can I be smart? How, what's my best chance of getting on the field and playing the most minutes? And um, it seems to be a fullback right now. So. Yeah, I think that, that's a great attitude to have. I'd thought about it that way to do kind of whatever, whatever it is to get on the field. So in your mind, are you like John Gallagher, full-time fullback, like for the rest of your career? Or do you, do you see a move back to forward at some point? Or are you just kind of embracing, embracing the change? I'll, I'll play anywhere, but it's funny. Yesterday in training, um, we just do rotations. And I played fullback like the first four rounds of, of 11 side. And then they were like, go to winger. And I almost like didn't want to. Like I wanted to stay and stay there. Because <laughs> like uh, I'm enjoying it. Um, I've had to embrace it. Uh, you know, I said today that like, we've got three clean sheets already and I'm like proud of that, you know, cause I've played a part in keeping clean sheets now. Um, so yeah, it's a little different to last year, but, uh, it's been good. So play, I know you have played fullback in the past, but I'm not sure if, if you've ever played in a system like this, it is, it, it, has that been, um, like, have you had to adapt to this system playing fullback and is, having played winger in the system helped you in that, or is it just a completely different animal? Um, it's, it's, it's definitely different. Um, Josh asks a lot of fullbacks. I think traditionally, if you look at fullbacks, they're kind of guys that just like, you know, when you're younger, you're like thrown at fullback because you're not good enough to play forward or center mid side. But, but here it's completely different. You know, he, he respects, that position, the responsibility that's required, um, off the ball, on the ball, um, tactically, like positioning, you know, like I, I'll think I'll have a good game and then Josh will show me like where I'm five yards out of position and then I'm thinking like, okay, I've constantly got to think there's so much that I've got to learn. Um, and there's a lot of demands. So yeah, I've been, I'm still learning. I'm still learning. It's still, still early in, in this system. And, um, yeah, I do a lot of work with with Nolan and the assistant coaches. Um, we review film of training games just to kind of keep keep teaching and, and learning. Yeah, I, I heard Josh say in a post game press conference. Somebody asked about maybe the first time that he made uh, a double switch with both fullbacks and put you and whoever else was on the bench on at the same time. And somebody asked about that, kind of suggesting that it was a defensive move. And and Josh pushed back on that, said, no, I, I view mm -hmm. this as an attacking move. I I view my fullbacks as attacking players. And do, do you do you feel that difference compared to when you've played fullback in in past teams? Yeah, yeah. I, I just think there's there's much more responsibility required. Um, he talks a lot about balance while attack. So while we're attacking and you might not be part of the attack, like can you close the space and be you know, keeping it in their half, um, for example, or if the ball is coming, can you be in the right spot to receive it and cross it? Um, so it's, it's a lot and you constantly have to be thinking, but, um, yeah, I remember, I remember that happening. And I mean, I, I think our fullbacks, we, you know, we attack plenty, we get lots of crosses in and it's a big part of how we play. So I, I've noticed maybe a couple of times you getting caught a little bit out of position, but your speed is such that you generally are able to to recover how is how is the, i guess you already touched on that a little bit but is that do you feel that coming along do you feel like you're getting more comfortable with knowing where to be and when to be there yeah yeah i think um i wouldn't say it's called out of position i'd more say i'm just covering for guys that maybe 
might not have that pace and I know I can recover there. Um, I think like the Portland game, we were pushing for a goal and we literally played with me and one other guy at the back just because I, you know, had the speed to, to be able to recover in those defensive positions or transitional moments. Um, I would talk about the off season. So it, it seems to us and your observers and fans on Instagram that you put on some muscle during the off season. Is that, <laughs> is that true? And then is, was that like a positional thing or a time at Austin thing or, you know, what, what, what was the cause of that? Yeah. I, um, I kind of knew that, that I might be playing a bit more fullback just from the kind of vibe I'd received from the coaches. So um, I watched a lot of film um, Premier League games were still going on. So I watched a lot of Liverpool, their fullbacks, Man City, two different style of fullbacks, but um, you know, a lot to learn from. And uh, I also had a, like a full-time strength and conditioning coach that I worked with like four times a week. And um, yeah, he put me through, he put me through hell, but, that was the thing I said to him, you know, I was like, I want to put on like at least like six or seven pounds of muscle and be more resilient, combative. I thought last year, you know, picked up a couple of knocks that um, frustrated me and kept me out of games. So I wanted to have a bit more durability. So, uh, yeah, we'll see uh, if I go back to him this offseason. It was definitely beneficial, but it was uh, it was hard work. <laughs> is there anything is there anything you had to give up that you're happy to like be able to do again? Like do you have to change to your diet and stuff or are you just kind of always a healthy guy? Uh, I've always been really healthy, but I, um, I just noticed like, I mean, I'm, I'm not super old now, but I played, you know, college and then five, six years as a pro, like your body changes. Um, and last year was probably the first year I noticed like a big change and from being like the young guy that can go out and lash balls at the goal. Now I watch like, Owen and Danny Prayer do that. And I'm like, I'll like rip a hip flexor if I shot a ball right now. Like I need like an hour warm up. And um, so, yeah, I, um, I actually, I follow like Tom Brady's diet. Um, my fiance hates it because it's so bland, and, like, <laughs> super restrictive, um, but it's been, it's been great. It's like no gluten, no dairy, um, no nightshades. So like nightshades, like a tomato or zucchini can't even eat that. So it's, it's, um, it's strict, but the um the kitchen staff at, at the club have been great at helping me with it so are there any have you found any austin restaurants that are are compliant with your diet or do you just kind of have to stay no, out of the restaurant no. scene <laughs> <laughs> i'm telling you like this diet is not fun if i was <laughs> not a soccer player i would not be doing it but um yeah i just tell myself like just it's it's working so um no like i'm still human so on my off day like i'll go get chick-fil-a or something um or like me and my missus will go uh, check out a restaurant and I'll just kind of have like a freebie to eat whatever I want. Yeah, well, it's it's showing, man. I know that that Kansas City game last year, um, a couple of times, Johnny Russell and Kyrie Shelton kind of gave you the business and were like going after mm -hmm. you pretty hard, but you're, you're holding your own this year. So it's it looks like the work's paying off, man. Sure. Um, so we reached out to a few friends to see if they had any questions they wanted to hear us ask you. One of them comes from a friend of mine and local journalist, local journalist Ramon Ramirez, and he asked, which position group is a better hang at the pub? So we'll, we'll pretend the pub part isn't in there, but like, is there like a, a difference as far as like the, the personality types with, with your fullback position group as, a far, as opposed to the attacker group? Um... I don't know. I, I like our little group. We got, um, we've got like all age ranges, you know, Z's a bit younger and, you know, 
likes to have fun and then me and Nick are kind of like in that range of like you know we're getting married kind of settling down and then Hector's an old man with his second kid so we got a good balance <laughs> but uh yeah no it's a good good little group that we have Hector seems like the kind of guy that like if you just stand close to him long enough he'll like say something wise to you oh I love I love being right. <laughs> he's, he's such a good guy um yeah, he's he's obviously been in Josh's system for a while, so he understands it. So like half the time on the bench we're just talking about like what um you know, if like Nick and Z are doing something, being like what what can they do better? Usually I just listen to what Hector has to say, but um he's great. He's great. I love him. So I think you you've been a little bit of a fan favorite so far. Like what what's your experience been in Austin with the fan base? Um and sort of how you know, y'all have all connected to this city. Oh, it's been amazing. I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's so unique, the experience that the players have. Um, obviously, the fan experience is, is something else. Um, and the environment that, you know, the, the club has created. But I look around and think, like, there's really no other team I'd want to play for. Um, and I'm sure there's a ton of players around the league that look at us and go, like, you know, damn, I wish I had, I wish we had that. Um, there's a lot of clubs that don't have the support of the stadium or the community. Um, you know, a lot of guys get recognized off the field, which just wouldn't happen in other cities. So it's Austin's a, a soccer city now, and it's 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 really cool to be part of and kind of watch it grow from from the beginning. And um, hopefully, long may it continue. So the other MLS team that you played for is Atlanta, which is also known for having great great supporter base there. Can you, is there any things you could like compare and contrast? Not to say like Austin's better than them. I don't want to th- make you, I put mean, you, you can, in that position. You can, you can say that yeah. if you want. Yeah. <laughs> but no, just like, what, I, how, how is it different? I, I, I love Atlanta. I mean, that's where I started my career. They gave me the opportunity to go out on loan, the opportunity to make my debut. Um, I just feel like the experience at Q2 is, is hard to match. It's more of a soccer, football, European environment. Um the uh the um the experience at Mercedes Benz is is crazy in itself. Like the place looks like a spaceship, but um the field is like super far from the from the fans. Um they're high up because of how it's built for foot you know American football. Uh, now when you fill it with 70,000 that's that's pretty cool. Um you feel like so small. But uh I think just like how close the fans are to you at Q2 makes it really uh, special. And I'm looking forward to, you know, hopefully keep, keep getting points on the board and a playoff game at home would be, would be a dream. I can't even imagine how that would be. So. All right. So we also reached out to uh, another group of people for some questions. So you almost certainly know who Los Verdes are, the supporters group. They have a huge slack where all the members are in there and it's so big that people started making other channels for other interests. And so one of the sub channels in there is called handsome boys modeling football club, which I think you went out to, to um, that trivia night. I think you might've met some of the kind of the ringleaders of that little group, but a subset of handsome of handsome boys modeling football (laughs) club have named themselves the galley gals. And they are the unofficial John Gallagher fan group. And so I wanted to reach out to them and give them an opportunity to ask some questions as well. 
Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the first one I got was from Steph Granola. She asked, will you grow your beard back? And then she asked me in parentheses, if he says no, can you add please? <laughs> uh, um, that, that's so funny. My, uh, my parents hate the beard. <laughs> I can tell. My mom's always making stuff up and trying to convince me to get rid of the beard. She's like, oh, I heard someone say they don't like your beard. And then I'll ask them and they'll be like, I never said that. <laughs> then, um, yeah, it's so blatantly obvious. Um, but then my missus and like all my teammates, I shaved it and they were all pissed at me. Um, you know, they, they, they said I look more like Conor McGregor and all this and that. Um, <laughs> so I, yeah, I feel like it's the beard has become a bit more of like my ad- identity. So uh, I don't know I've been, I've been playing, but it doesn't take me long to grow back. It takes me like a week or two. So tell them not to stress. It will be back. <laughs> okay. 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 Yeah. Uh, yeah, they'll feel a lot about they'll feel a lot better about that. The next one is what's your phone number? And we should probably skip that one. Um, <laughs> yeah, let's get that one. <laughs> so, how about like, do you have particular guys in the team that you're the closest with? Like, do you, do you have a little group you hang with more often than others? Um, I'm pretty I'm pretty close with a lot of guys. Like, uh, I'm really close with Andrew Tarbell um, and his wife. Um, close with Hector. Close with Nick Lima um so the, those kind of guys and then like last night i went for dinner with some of the young guys like danny Pereira, z damian uh owen so yeah i'll I'll kind of mingle with whoever um do you have any nicknames on the team um mcgregor sometimes <laughs> i um, saw some... a, couple, a couple couple other like ex- explicit ones that i can't say on the podcast <laughs> Because like my language, uh, like words that we use back home are different. So like if I say it, then like the American guys will start saying it too, and they find it hilarious. So. Yeah. Oh man, I'm very curious now. Um, yeah, family family friendly podcast. So <laughs> uh, another one was: Do you have a favorite band or song you like to like to listen to before games? Oh. um... For games, I'll listen to like any like house EDM kind of like upbeat stuff. Um, no hands by Waka Faka sometimes is like my go-to. <laughs> um, and is that the, is that the stuff you listen to off the field too, or are you into other other kinds of music? I listen to I listen to a lot of country music, which probably no one would have guessed being from Ireland. But my well, there's, uh, there's a lot of roots there. It's it's like yeah, Irish yeah. Irish traditional music is kind of like american folk music's ancestor so there's a connection yeah yeah my uh my my missus is uh is from the south so she gets me into like a lot of country music which i've kind of i've gotten into some of it do you have a particular country artist you like like you're like oh man if blah 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 ever comes to austin we have to go uh we we really like luke combs it's like generic but yeah he's good he's got a good beard yeah he does he does thick so I don't know. Damn, I gotta grow it back now. I was thinking about keeping it short for the summer, but it's probably back now. <laughs> um, I think that's all the questions we had for you. So thanks to the Galley Gals for for throwing in some of those. Uh, John, thanks so much for your time. We appreciate it. We've appreciate all the work that uh, that you've done for the team so far, and can't wait to see what you do for the rest of the season. 
Appreciate it. Thanks for having me, guys. I ain't got no time to let you pass. I only got one life. All right. We want to thank John Gallagher for taking the time to chat with us. It was a lot of fun. We'd also encourage you to visit the Striker Texas website where you can find the best soccer coverage in Texas. Jeremiah, what can folks find there? Yeah, so Jessica Luther wrote a great article this week about the Cecilia Dominguez situation based upon what we know and what we don't know and sort of her experience. If For those of you who don't know, she's... I mean, I think her big thing is she like sort of broke the Baylor rape story situation. And she's so she's done a ton of journalism across the country. And it's really cool that she wrote this piece for the striker. And then we have some other news for next week's show that Landon, you should probably introduce. Yeah. So we're actually going to have Jessica on the show. Um, she, she reached out and, and offered her services. Uh, I wish we could talk to her about something a little more fun than this, but, um, we also are honored that she would be willing to do this just because she does have an expertise on these things. So we'll be talking to Jessica Luther next week. Stay tuned and we'll have, uh, we'll have some more info from her, but, We'd like to remind you to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Uh, it helps us find more more of our audience. And then if you want to continue the conversation, find us on Twitter at LVHero87 and jbentley underscore ATX, and then at Moontower Soccer on both Twitter and Instagram. Thanks so much for listening. We will be back next week with a new episode of Moontower Soccer, where we will review the LA Galaxy game and then preview the next game on the road against RSL and then cover any other news that happens. Until then, I'm Landon Cottom. I'm Jeremiah Bentley. We'll catch you next time. When no one is around.